0: We're gonna dive pretty deep this morning into into the fullness of this chapter. It's, it is a relatively long chapter, not a terribly long chapter, but it deals with uh, Joseph and really begins to uh, pr- really begins to define and provide us with view of Joseph and how he lived and the things that happened with him and how Jacob influenced those things, his father, and uh, gives us insights into the young man. And I want to focus on that although his father plays a role in his life, a huge role in his life. In many ways, I think sometimes he even undermines him a little bit, not intentionally, but he undermines him because of his actions. He causes him maybe some troubles. But that being said, God providentially used those troubles for his very best. So then again, it may be that just naturally a part of God's plan. And I can definitely see that. And I would definitely say that God's providence was at work in Joseph's life To bring about God's plan and God's will for not only Him, but for His people and for the children and the grandchildren and the great grandchildren and all the seed and the line of His brothers who ultimately hated Him at the start but were saved by Him and loved Him at the end. And all those things come to play as we're reading this. And so sometimes there's some nuance there that you just don't play out, you don't tease out when you're studying the Bible, just because we only have a few minutes each morning to study it. And so we want to study it and get as much as we can, as soon as we can. It says in verse 3 that now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children. Notice, Israel loved Joseph more than all his children. It doesn't really give us any other reason other than he was the son of his old age. And you go, that's strange that uh, he loved Joseph more than all his other children just because he was a son of his old age. If you think about it, not from Joseph's perspective, from Jacob's perspective, maybe that's not as weird a thing as you might think. Because as we get older, we mature, we get better perspective, we get better understanding, we oftentimes become less selfish as we get older now that's not always true that's not a constant in the universe that we always get less selfish as we get older but oftentimes we do and oftentimes we realize that the important things in life are not necessarily our job or what we want to do or taking care of our business or doing what i want to do as far as life is concerned but we realize that the investment of life into others and the investment in li- of life into the life god's given us the purpose god's given us for living oftentimes with the way we live we become less less selfish i can remember when i was a young man newly married with a new child Thinking that I wanted to do this and that and the other, and I had to do this with my family, and I had to do that with my family. And not realizing, because I was a young man, I was a man in early, mid-20s, re- not realizing that that investment and the importance of those moments and those hours with my children was very important. And uh, it was important, not just but for them, it was important for me. And uh, you sometimes when you're young and you have children, you're just trying to survive. And a lot of time, a lot of times that's true. If you run into somebody who's got three or four, I like to call them wild Indians, the young children that they just flip from here and there. And if you've got, got one that likes to climb, they're climbing all over everything and they're crying and they're snotting and, they're, and they've got issues and they're falling down. And if you've got three or four of them or even two of them or one of them, sometimes they can just be so draining as to be, as to, you can't really get a perspective on life. You're just trying to stick your head up out of the water to breathe. And I understand that. I understand that completely. That being said, when you get older, you'll find a lot of times that you'll run into someone and they, for whatever reason in life, or raising their grandchildren or grand, or raising a grandchild and they, uh, and now that they're in their 50s or 60s or even in their 70s and they're taking care of that grandchild, that child becomes really the object of their eye. It becomes the apple of their eye. They love that child and they invest a lot of their life in that child, realizing the importance of that investment because they're older because they they have less of trying to accomplish on their own and more of trying to understand the importance of investing in other people's lives and so that happens all the time and i can see that jacob would have done this because the truth is that joseph warned him at the end and was born to him a little bit later than the others in that his mother rebecca couldn't conceive until she got a good bit older. And then the truth, the truth is that they didn't have children together until after 10 of the other ones had already been born. And he had probably also had learned his lessons. A lot of times we have to learn our lessons. And when you say we in the South, we use the phrase, we have to pay for our raising. And what does that mean? It was tough on our parents to raise us. And sometimes we got to pay that debt forward to our own children. And a lot of times the problems that we have when we're raising children, a lot of the problems that, and the difficulties that we have when we're raising children are our problems. They're us. And paying for your raising is figuring it out, figuring out how to get past yourself and selflessly raise somebody else or help somebody else through life. And that's hard, it's really hard, and you paying for it, and for finally that debt gets paid, and you figure it out, so it ain't about me, it's about God, and it's not about it's not about what I want, it's about what's best for everyone, and then for you know, you're doing a pretty doggone good job of raising children, you're sticking in there, you're actually making a difference, you can see investment of your life into them, and then for you know it, they start getting older, and you can see how that investment, how much the time you spent really really feeding into their lives, that time was good and it was well spent and it was fruitful. And the truth is Jacob just loved Joseph because he was the son of his old age. And he said, and it says, and he also made him a tunic of many colors. Now, this tunic is one of those one of those things that kind of sticks out in Scripture because it's it's something that's not been seen before in the sense of in this particular way, and it's unique, and it's one of those things that's visual, so people can really get their mind wrapped around it. And they look at it, and they go, okay, what is this talking about? A tunic? We got a tunic of many colors. It's like the ark or the tower of Babel that are, is in the earlier parts of Genesis. You they never seen a big giant boat like that. Never seen a tower like that it has that kind of importance it sticks out on the pages of the book of genesis in history and a tunic was a covering remember all the time when we always think about those things whenever you think about clothing that means that always represents scripturally the covering of sin and uh, that's why in in the book of the revelation when we're in in heaven we have a robe that extends all the way to the ground meaning it's complete covering and it's and it is brilliant or bright white Why? Because it's holy and it comes from God, and that covering of sin was paid for by Jesus Christ, and so it's a picture of that. A tunic would have been the same thing. It would have been the outer coat. It's the coat that's worn on top to keep you cold, keep you warm during the wintertime and during the cold of the evening. It would have covered all the way to the ground. It would have been very important to have that as far as for your comfort and for your protection. A tunic is a picture of the covering of sin, and, it would, and for that time period, oftentimes people had tunics that covered like today and we have them today in the sense of having these vests that are puffy that that kind of keep the warmth in but they are have open arms and the reason they have open arms is for us to be able to move around and work and they're more athletic or they're more used for the purpose they're actually more nowadays used to look cool but the truth is they're warm they keep your body warm and yet your arms are free to work and and, but this word for tunic is not that word. It's the word that actually has arms in it. And a tunic like that, that would have arms in it, Would have been made for royalty. In fact, the words used to describe a tunic that David gave his daughter, King David gave his daughter, it would have been a symbol, it would have been symbolic of royalty. Why? Because they didn't have to work because their arms were covered. They were never going to be out there working in such a way that it would make their arms if they had that tunic on. And a lot of tunics were made without arms. This one is one of those words that quite clearly indicates that it had arms. Not only did it have arms, It was made of many colors. It's very beautiful. And by the way, we do, we've found some archaeological evidence of those types of tunics actually coming from this area of the world. And even the Egyptians have some comments on these colorful tunics that were coming from this area of of the middle east where israel is where jordan where we where syria is today we find these we find the evidence of these type of tunics taking place it was a very it perhaps we even would have been something that would very be, been very stylish for the time and it would be something to be envied and that may be one of the things that would be problematic about it. First of all, his brothers would have envied him for it. Second of all, it had the appearance that he was placing Joseph Joseph, ahead of them. And you know what? As we read this, he might have been. He might have been saying that he was more important than them. And remember the first two verses at the end of last week when we were studying through this. Remember those two verses tell us. They tell us that he came back and he ratted out his brothers or he told his father about some of the things his brothers were doing that were wrong. Uh And uh, we say ratted it out, but the truth is that they, they were doing things that they probably shouldn't have been doing. And he told and his father may have put him over them. All these things are important for Joseph because Joseph has a feeling that he has something important to do in his life. Also, it may be reflective of his character, being, being someone who could be trusted, someone who could take on a large role, somebody who, who took on the ability to lead and took on the ability to handle someone else's business and can be trusted with it. Verse four said, but when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him. And notice that favoritism does lead to hate. And that favoritism does lead to pain and anguish. And you know what? I will say this unequivocally. I've seen that happen so many times among children and the anguish that is still there when the adults are even in their, even in their thirties and forties and fifties and sixties, I've run into people who are in great anguish over how their parents treated them differently than their brothers and sisters. And that pain and that anguish is real. And I think that really comes from the nature that God's given us—that we want, we desire the love of God. I think that's been placed in our hearts to want God to love us, and when He does, it fills that vacuum. There's a giant hole in the heart of man that only can be filled by God, and that desire is played out because our parents take on that role when we're very young. It's played out when our parents don't want to fulfill that role, don't love us as much as others, or maybe doesn't love us at all. I deal with a lot of children. Who are in foster care and I uh, represent them in the courts, and I always say to their foster parents if they're going to adopt them, or i say the I say to their children if they're going to deal with them, I say, listen, you need to understand when they get older there' there's something innate in them they're going to seek out their parents, and that has happened in every ch- every every situation I've ever found. why because there's that god sized hole in our heart, and we try to fill it with all kinds of things, and we think. That if we go back and build a relationship with the parents that did not love us back then, if they love us now, that'll fill that hole. And then we think that maybe the other sex will fill that hole. And then we maybe think that power or money or drugs, or there is an innumerable number of things out there that we try to fill that God-sized hole in our heart with, and we can't. And when we can't fill it up and we reject God, we become bitter about it. And uh, really, that's what's going on here. These brothers want their father to love them as much as he loves their brother, and they want him to uh, take care of them as much as he uh, takes care of uh, his brother, and he's not, and it causes some bitter hatred. And when I say bitter hatred, I am talking about bitterness, and uh, the Bible says to teaches us not to let a root of bitterness grow up in our heart. That bitterness can be very difficult to dig out once you realize what it is and what's going on in your own. It can be, it can be so bitter that it leads to a struggle that takes years and years for you to get over. And I see that in so many different ways play out in the world, not to let that bitterness grow up in you. And some of you can identify really heavily with this Bible study out there. Myself, I don't necessarily identify with it as much, but I can see in my experiences of life and my dealing with people and my helping people or trying to help them, sometimes I feel like I'm not necessarily doing that very well. But in my efforts to feed into other people and help people through life, I can see some of that just absolutely Excruciating bitterness that's in somebody's heart over maybe a real wrong or a perceived wrong or a struggle of the past. And so many times you run into parrot people and they are in this huge fight, and what they're fighting over is insignificance, really nothing. And you don't really understand why. And the reason you don't understand why is you don't understand the backstory. And the backstory tells it all. And the backstory most likely involves, at some point in time, someone trying to fill their heart, that God-sized hole in their heart, with some other relationship or some other thing of this world, and it didn't work out the way they thought it would, and they are very bitter over it. And that bitterness is pouring out like a sewage tank onto the situation, and you see all that ugly sewage in a situation that doesn't seem like it really should be that ugly, but it is. And the reason it is because there's that bitter hatred that comes from that situation where they did not get the completion or the absolution or the love or the uh, nurturing that they thought they should get. And when they did not get it and other people received it, they are just, they are, they cannot stand it. Notice it says they hated him and they could not speak peaceably to him. Notice he didn't do anything. He just got the coat. He just received the love. Joseph did nothing to them. Now, he did probably tell on them when they were doing stuff they shouldn't have been doing while they were in the service of their father. That's probably true. But he didn't do anything to them. But they hated him so much they couldn't even speak peaceably to them to him. And that's, a, that's one of those things where you just kind of look around and you go, wow, that's a deep bitterness that you don't even know what to do with. And I would say to you, as you're looking at these two verses and as you're con- considering them and pondering them, think about the deep emotional and deep spiritual struggle that this reveals and that kind of is brought to the surface by what's going on in this story. Try your to help folks through it. Try your best to, to deal with it yourself if you're dealing with those things and allow God to soothe that wound for him to heal that pain, for him to lead you in a way where you do not walk around in that hatred and that bitterness because it's destructive. It's destructive for your today, and it is deadly for your future. And God cannot really move in it because that faith is never really activated when you're walking around with hatred and bitterness filling you up. And so I would just say you've got to figure out how to walk around in love. And the only way to do that is to come to real terms with that God-sized hole in your heart and you let God fill it up. Let God be who he needs to be in that hole. Let God work out those things with you. And I can promise you this, you'll find forgiveness for yourself and you'll find forgiveness for those who you were struggling with and struggling against. And the truth is, you'll find his very best. And I expect that'll be the case for you as we start the week. I pray that'll be the case for you. And uh, I pray that uh, as we go, we will build foundations of love And we will be filling holes in people's hearts, not with ourselves and not with them, but we'll be filling them with God and who He is. As you go today, I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you, that He'll make His face to shine upon you, and that He will give you hope and peace today in Jesus' name.